0: Good morning, fellowship. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, I want to welcome back some of you. Today is your first morning back, and uh, it's fun to, to sort of see this place gradually refill up over the last month or so, And and obviously there's some that are still not here, but I just want to thank you for being here, whether it is your first time or not thank you. It really matters for us to be together. And uh, I know there's some obstacles to being able to gather right now, but uh, isn't it a joy that we get to? We have that privilege. I also want to say welcome to any guests that are here. Maybe you're new to fellowship or relatively new to fellowship. If you want to learn more about us, the best place to do that is a website, newtofellowship.com. And there you can click on a contact card and get in touch with us, and we'll give you as much information as you want. We won't overwhelm you. We'll go at your pace, but we would love to get to know you. So I would encourage you to take that step. Before I jump into the message this morning, I just wanna share with you a prayer request and I'm gonna lead us in prayer. Uh, Many of you know the Henderson family, Scott and Melissa Henderson. Scott is our Fellowship Student Ministries pastor here at the Franklin campus. Melissa lost her father very suddenly on Friday. Uh, He collapsed while traveling and uh, was not able to be revived. So we want to pray for the Henderson family and for Melissa in particular and and her family as they uh, grieve this sudden loss. So bow our heads together and let's lift them up as a family. Father, we do thank you for a chance to be together and we thank you for a chance to pray for this family that we love very much, the Hendersons. And I just ask, Father, that you would enter into their grief, their their shock uh, as they enter a new reality as a family uh, with this loss. And I pray, Father, that your peace that we've already been praying for and, and even experiencing this morning as Brian led us, I pray that that peace would just envelop them. And I pray, Father, that as they walk through the different stages of grief, they would know with confident hope that they will be reunited. I thank you for Melissa's father's faith in you. And I thank you for a chance we have now to lift them up as a family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to take one week... Before the start of our new series, which we're very excited about, by the way, it's going to be a verse by verse study of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. We're going to start that next week. And, and I'm going to spend a little more time telling you about not just where we're going to be going as a church for the rest of the year in terms of how we're going to do church in this season, but more importantly, the why behind the what kind of the theological undergirdings for the plan that, that we've come to. And I know many of you were here last week and you heard Lloyd Shadrach share the plan, or maybe you read an email that came out this week that kind of walked you through the plan. So I'm not going to spend as much time on the details of it, but I, I will re- rehash that. I will reiterate it to make sure we're as clear as can be. But I really want to give you a message that'll help you understand the why behind the what and why it is that we as elders at fellowship and leaders at fellowship and our staff, we really believe that God is calling us to one of our core values, which is better together. And and you've already heard that taught through Carrie and Emily. It's been mentioned several times already this morning. It's a core value that God's given us, and we think for such a time as this, He wants us to lean in. It's deeply theological. It's deeply biblical. And I want to unpack a little bit about why we believe that God's calling us to that theme as we continue to regather even in this season. The key question we've been wrestling with as elders and leaders at Fellowship is, how do we disciple a body of people who are increasingly feeling fragmented? And I choose that word very intentionally. I want to talk about that word, fragmented or, or fragmentation. It's, it's this idea: how do we grow together, even though we're separated, even though we're kind of broken apart? Now, there's some obvious ways that we're fragmented. We're physically fragmented. Normally, on an average Sunday morning, we'd have twice as many rows, and, and most of the most of the seats in here would be filled up. And then we'd have a second service, same thing. We have right now more than half of our body, at least according to the, the survey that we did, more than half of our body has not yet come back, is still worshiping from home, and. and experiencing the the service from Brentwood campus, which is broadcast uh, online. So we're physically fragmented, but we're also fragmented in some other ways. We're kind of internally fragmented. I've been feeling this a lot recently because all my routines that I'm used to are now changed. And, and most of us know this. Those of you that, that traveled, uh, you're not traveling anymore, many of you. Those of you that maybe used to go to an office, some of you are still working at home. Um, there's all kinds of ways that our routines have been kind of fragmented and busted up. Uh, I know for me internally, I've realized I've kind of been dealing with this low-grade frustration. And I haven't even been able to put a name to it until recently when I really stepped back and started thinking about it. And it's not hard for me to sort of step past that line and that frustration kind of comes out in relationships with other people. My wife, my kids, you know, I've had to really watch myself because all of a sudden my my internal anger that's sort of just simmering under the surface just kind of leaks out. I had a phone call not too long ago with, with a guy in our body and we were just talking about all this craziness and, and, and he, he was sharing you know, some perspective that he had and I was sharing some perspective that I had and before I knew it, that frustration was kind of popping out over the phone a little bit and I had to step back and say, holy cow, God, I'm called to shepherd this man as part of our body and I'm debating him. You know, now there's a time and place to be able to have good, you know, give and take and that kind of thing. But what I'm talking about is I know for me internally, I've realized I'm just kind of angry inside. And as I dug into that, I realized I think what's going on is this sense of loss, this sense of separation, this sense of fragmentation. And, And even something as simple as the ability to do the things you want to do without having to think about how to do them. Can create this sense in us. Now, uh, this morning's text is a text that was written to a society and a culture experiencing deep, deep fragmentation, deep brokenness. And I want to explain that. Um, this morning's text, Colossians 3, if you haven't turned there, go ahead and open it up. Colossians 3, uh, starting in verse 12. It was written in the 60s. Not the 1960s, the AD 60s. But what's interesting about that decade as I thought about it is, you know, in American history, we associate different things with different times. And the 60s was one of those tumultuous decades. You know, you think back, a lot of th- similar themes that we're wrestling through now, uh, they were wrestling through in the 60s and society was changing, culture was changing in a massive way. And there were those that were excited about the change and there were those that were really worried and, you know, holding the change back. And, and it's, it, all this stuff is, is in all of us as we sort of lean into different perspectives on this. But the A.D. 60s were even more so. And this is what I want to explain. Um, The church in A.D. 60s, when Paul wrote this letter, was fragmented to the extreme. It was separated to the extreme. Now, let me explain um, how it was so. The, The figurative body of Christ... You know, over and over, Scripture calls us to be a body, had literally been scattered, had literally been fragmented. It, it was started in Jerusalem. There was only a Jerusalem church initially. And then through persecution, they were scattered all about. Now, that was part of God's plan because he wanted the gospel to go throughout the known world. But think about how the early Christians experienced that. It's like we were one family and now we're spread out all over the place. We were able to see each other. We were able to eat together. And now, you know, my best friend so-and-so that I grew up with, he's over here and I'm over there. It was a fragmented body that Paul was writing to. Not only that, but quite literally, the individual bodies of Christians were being fragmented, torn apart, literally limb from limb. That was part of the persecution that they were enduring at that time. Physical death, and not just death, but tortuous death. I mean, you know, there were, some of them had their bodies fed to wild animals. They were used in the gladiator games. They were um, burned as human torches. There were all kinds of terrible, awful persecution of Christians that was happening in this individual time frame. So there was fragmentation, literally, figuratively, to the extreme. Isn't it interesting, as I thought about this, Satan's very first strategy against the church was to separate them was to fragment them, so to speak, and I thought about that. That's always been his strategy against the church. Same today, as it ever was. So into that historical context of of fragmentation and disunity, by the way, there was a lot of disagreement about how to handle the persecution And then there were some Christians that at that time had sort of um, renounced their faith under heavy duress so they wouldn't get killed. And then they wanted to come back into the church. Should the church let them in or not? There was disunity about how to deal with the Gentile believers. Should they practice the Jewish law or not? There was all these arguments, all these in-house debates in the church. And into that historical context of fragmentation, separation, and disunity, Paul wrote these words to this church in Colossae. Let's unpack them. You've heard them read several times. Now we're going to unpack them. So we're in, uh, starting in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to put this here up on the screen for us. Put on then. You've heard this read. But put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. And I'm going to pause right there for a minute because I want to talk about the first part before we get into the list of, of character traits. Paul starts off by speaking of the truth of of the identity of these Christians that he's writing to. So in other words, he's sort of saying, in this moment, the only way that you can act the way God would call you to act is to remember who you are. And, and notice the identity that he calls out. I'm, I'm just gonna put a box around things. He, he says, you are God's chosen ones. You are holy, which means separated or distinct, sacred. You are beloved, which means dearly loved. Now, this is profound because what Paul is saying is before you hear anything else that I'm going to tell you about how your character is to be and how you're supposed to, how you should be acting right now in a time of disunity and fragmentation, you need to remember who you are. You need to remember you're chosen. You were selected to be the generation of Christians, Paul is saying, that is to endure what you are enduring right now. Not only were you chosen, you're set apart for it. You're sacred. Not only that, but I love you, and you're loved. You know, you know, it wasn't Paul's love he's talking about here. He's talking about Christ's love. He's talking about God's love on them. So he, he's saying, listen, in a time of fragmentation and separation, what we all struggle with is letting go of control. I think that's very true in our time. The only way you're going to be able to let go of control is if you believed you're actually loved by the only one whose love actually really matters. That you are God's chosen ones, that you are holy, set apart, distinct, and that you are dearly loved. That will enable you to open your hands. Now, from that very powerful beginning, that, 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 that articulation and declaration of their identity in Jesus Christ, Paul goes on to command these Christians to put on eight characteristics. And I'm going to underline those. I'll use a different color here. He says, here's what I want you to put on. Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And then there's one more, the most important one, love. Now, what I love what Paul's doing here, and we went through this in our Colossians study a few months ago, by the way, but we're revisiting it um, because it's such a rich passage for our moment in time, is he's using the analogy of a wardrobe. And if you were tracking with this through Colossians, you might have remembered, I, b- I brought out some clothes on this rack and I was you know, putting on a jacket and new shoes. And it's this idea that as a follower of Jesus, you now have access to the clothing of Jesus. You now have access to a brand new wardrobe. So put on the things that will make you look like Jesus and carry the scent of Jesus, the aroma of Christ, as Paul writes elsewhere. And here are those things. These are the things that are gonna make us as a body look like Jesus. And he lists out these eight things. Now, Here's the thing about this list, and we'll keep it up there on the screen so you can note this. Every one of these eight things can only be displayed in community with other people. There's not one thing on this list that you can demonstrate as an isolated, lone ranger Christian. God didn't intend us to live that way. We need each other. But what's interesting about this, as I was thinking about it, is we need each other not just for our own sakes and our own sanctification and our own growth, but for the sake of the witness of Christ in the world. Think about how distinctive these eight things are in a world, in the first century world, in the 21st century world. You don't see communities of people living like this. You don't see families living like this. You don't see organizations and groups. and and You don't see people living like this. Not... Not actually, not really. So Paul is saying, be distinctive, and the way you're going to be distinctive is the way you love each other, the way that you forgive each other, that you bear with each other, that you're kind to one another, that you're humble, that that you have, have a sense of patience and compassion toward one another. Here's another way to think about it. Jesus Christ will become visible when his people move toward one another in love. That's why I think this is such a powerful, better-together passage. Now, I'm going to go on and and keep unpacking the verses that follow because what's going to happen here is the rest of the passage shows what it looks like when these eight things are tangibly put on or tangibly lived out, another way to think about it. And what we're going to see is the very first thing we begin to experience is peace. So let's take a look at verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ... Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's just pause right there uh, for a minute in, in verse 15. Now, I loved what Brian did earlier with that prayer time he led us in. Because what, what he was demonstrating and leading us in is this idea that, that when we're, we're able to sort of take all the swirling things around and just bring them before the, the throne of God, the result of that is we can begin to experience the peace of God. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Remember the word peace in the Bible does not just mean the absence of conflict. It means the presence of wholeness completion, and fullness. Peace is wholeness. And so what, what a great verse for us at Fellowship. Our mission is to help people find wholeness. We call it wholehearted life. But, but the idea is wholeness, which only fo- comes in Jesus Christ. That's the mission that God has called us to in a world of fragmentation, in a world of disunity, in a world of brokenness. God has called us to a mission to help people find wholeness or peace in Jesus Christ. Peace is exactly what we're all starving for right now and always, but maybe especially right now because peace is the opposite of fragmentation. Now, how do you experience peace? Well, let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly why are we continuing to have worship services when you know so, some churches are saying we're, we're just not gonna do that right now. We're just gonna only worship online. We believe being together matters. We, we believe that really the only and best way, and Brian was talking about this earlier, is you know, singing songs is, is kind of hard when you're home watching on a screen. Um, Maybe some of you have had a different experience than me, but when we were in that quarantine period and the only way to to worship was by watching online, the singing part in my household was just not so great. It's one thing to sit and listen to a sermon online, you know, but it's another thing to to like congregational sing. And and maybe maybe some of you are different than me. Maybe you kind of have a Von Trapp family in your home, but that was not the case in ours, you know. Like, you know, I'd just be kind of sitting there, you know, singing a little bit, and I look over, and you know, Jody is kind of looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and then our kids are, who knows where they're off to. the, The singing part is hard, and we're commanded here to sing. So one of the beautiful things about being together this morning is you get to hear each other's voices. You get to look around the room and say, oh, I'm not alone in this. Let's talk about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, Lloyd and I, as we prayed and thought about where to go next in our sermon series, this is one of the reasons we chose the Sermon on the Mount. So what would it look like over the net, all throughout the rest of this fall and, you know, into the winter and early spring, you know, because we're going to really take our time through these three incredible chapters of the Scripture. What better way to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly than just teaching through all those red letters? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah, some of you, you followed me, the, the red letters versus the black letters in the Scripture. Okay. The words of Jesus is what I'm trying to say. Um, What does it look like to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Well, it looks like teaching the word. It looks like meditating on the word, talking about the word in your small groups, around your dinner tables at home with your family. These are all the things that are incorporated into our plan that I'm going to share or reiterate with you in a minute. Why? Because we want to let the word of Christ dwell richly. We want to sing psalms. We want to sing hymns and spiritual songs. We want to be thankful we're going to remind, keep reminding us about that. And the result of that will be this last verse whatever we do, we want to do it all in the, the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the key to this happening, guys, all this beautiful, you know, the body of Christ doing all these things together, is the unity that the previous verses encouraged. Uh, unity, oneness of the body was so important to Paul. In fact, he wrote about that in every one of his letters. In every one of the Pauline or Pauline epistles, he emphasized the unity of the body. Why was it so important to Paul? A lot of reasons, but partly because it was so important to Jesus. I want to take you to John 17 and put it on the screen. This is the high priestly prayer. This was the prayer that Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples the last time he ever saw them all together before his death, the Last Supper. Now, there's some amazing theology in here. Let me read it to you, and then we'll we'll talk about it for just a minute. The glory that you have given me, this is Jesus praying to the Father, I have given to them, his disciples, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you, Father, in me, that they, disciples, may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Now, there's some theological fireworks in here. Do you, do you see the Trinity? being emphasized. I mean, this is actually amazing to sort of be an eyewitness of of Jesus' prayer life to the Father. Now, you may be saying, okay, well, I see Father and Son, but I don't see Spirit. The chapters that precede this chapter, Jesus has just been talking to them about how he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And Christ's presence, his presence, is going to continue with them in a beautiful, profound way through the very presence of the Spirit. So this is how this unity is going to be accomplished the third person of the Trinity in the body of believers, in the disciples of Jesus. And so you read this, it kind of blows your mind a little bit. We, disciples of Jesus, are being invited into the oneness of the triune God. I wish I had time to preach a whole sermon on that one statement but that's exactly what's happening, guys. We're being invited into the oneness that the Father and the Son share together through the Spirit in us. We may be one with them, which also means we're one with each other. I mean, this is just absolutely mind-blowing. And so Paul has taken these words to heart in every letter he writes. He says, don't give up on unity. Don't give up on peace with one another. Don't give up on the body that we're called to be. Be together. So let me ask you, a follower of Jesus, and part of this church. Are you willing to fight for unity? Are you willing to fight for this kind of oneness? Now, here's the thing about unity that I wanna be really clear about. Unity doesn't mean we have to see everything the exact same. In fact, what I love about marriage, which is a way that we get to practice unity in human relationships, is Jody and I see things very differently sometimes, and yet we're still called to oneness, you see. You and I can see things very differently as it it relates to this pandemic and as it relates to all kinds of things. And yet I want us to pursue unity together. Unity is not about seeing everything eye to eye in the same way. Unity is about prioritizing the same things and moving toward the same things together. And so one of the same things that I want us to move toward is oneness as a church, is unity as a church. I'm talking to myself here, preaching to myself, as well as to all of us. So this is where I want to just reiterate and share how we're going to fight for unity at Fellowship Bible Church. All the plans that we have for the rest of this year, all the way through the rest of 2020, are all built around this idea of better together, fighting for unity and a culture of disunity and a culture of fragmentation. It's embedded in Colossians 3, it's embedded in John 17, and we wanna live it out. So how are we going to do that? Well, let me just briefly go back through and walk back through our plan. There are four components of it. Many of you have seen this, not all of you have. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but we're gonna to worship together, gather together, pray together, and serve together. Let me talk briefly about each of these one by one, Um, speaking first about worshiping together. By, By this, I'm talking about the Sunday morning worship service. And I know that worship is much broader and bigger than that theologically, but we're talking just about the Sunday morning worship service. As you all know, we were online only for a season. Then July 5th, we opened back up the doors and it's been a slow trickle back in. In fact, I'll put a slide up on here. Now, this is about two to three weeks old when we did this survey, but 74% had not yet returned to service. That, that number has decreased and the 26% has increased. And we can just sort of see that as we're kind of um, taking, you know, counting how many people are coming to service. Service. So that's moving in a really good direction. There are still many people that haven't come back for various reasons. Um, some have ha- underlying health concerns or someone in their family underlying health concerns. Some just aren't mentally or emotionally ready to come back. Others just say, man, well, well we would back, but, but we'd rather, we'd rather just come when there's no restrictions, you know, where we can just show up and kind of just, just be how we normally would. So there's all kinds of reasons and we've heard and listened to the reasons and it's been so helpful. For those of you that have shared your feedback, what we realized is we're all over the map. But here's what we're gonna do to fight for unity. We're gonna have two services at each campus at the same times, 9 and 1045. That'll be beginning next week. Now, that's not a change for Franklin. It is a change for Brentwood. We've had three services at Brentwood. We're now gonna have two. We just don't need three in this season. And, And to be honest with you, this is a blessing in disguise because it's gonna really help us be able to staff our learning center because the fewer services we have, the fewer volunteers we need in that learning center. What I love about this is Brentwood's going to be on the exact same times as Franklin. And I know that maybe it doesn't matter to anyone, you know, except for you know, those of us that kind of go back and forth between the campuses. But I think there's something mental and emotional about the whole body, both campuses, worshiping at the exact same moment in time. I just think that's kind of better together, kind of cool. We're going to live stream both services. This is a change for Franklin. It's only been Brentwood. And we've heard from some of you on the survey and some phone calls we've had to say, man, would it be possible to live stream Franklin? Because as much as I love that Brentwood service, they're a week off, you know? They're a week ahead of where our Franklin congregation is. And it's just kind of different when you're not seeing your own place, your own church. So when you're not able to come, for whatever reasons, you will be able to live stream this worship service at Franklin beginning next week at 9 a.m. and 1045, our normal service times. And then the last thing is, I'm excited to share this with you. I know most of you already know this. We are gonna be able to open our learning center September 13th. We're gonna begin with a 50% capacity. And, and honestly, we probably, we don't believe we're gonna to have to turn anybody away based on just where we see attendance wise. But the reason we're gonna start that way, A, is to, uh, we're continually recruiting more volunteers. So if you wanna help us, that would help us increase that capacity. Number two is we just wanna make sure that we can do it right that we can do it in a way. We're not gonna you know, have kids wearing masks and any of those things, but we wanna make sure that we're doing it well, doing it safely, doing it right. There's a great plan that Marty Sweeterman, who's an unbelievable children's pastor and, and a family ministry pastor is putting together along with Carrie and Emily. They're doing an excellent job leading that. So that's how we're gonna worship together, some online for now, some in the room, but together. Now, let me talk about, uh, I'm gonna actually move through this quickly because I don't have the time, but these are the guiding principles that we've been using throughout this process. Care well for the body, stay in step with our community, love one another. Um, let me just mention this. I know all of y'all are here, so you've experienced this this morning, but I just want to be clear. In in a time where the society around us and particularly Williamson County is, is strongly encouraging mass. Now, they're not mandated in worship services. They're they're mandated outside in other um, gatherings and retail, etc. But we have the freedom here to do what we want to do. We've, we believe it is wise and helpful for our body as a whole to continue to encourage masks when people come into the atrium and the and area. And then once you're able to spread out like you are right now, you're welcome to take the mask off, as many of you have, and you're welcome to keep the mask on. And, and I, I hope you feel comfortable with either of those. And I know this hits some tensions because if we're honest, there are some that are like, man, people that wear masks, they're afraid. And then there's others that say, people that don't wear masks are unkind. Guys, can, can we just move away from those things? as much as possible and give each other the benefit of the doubt and say, let's move toward unity together. And and people are in different places for a lot of practical and and, and other reasons. And so we believe it is wise and kind as a body, according to these three principles, for us to continue this for now. And we will let you know when and if that changes, but we're going to continue encouraging masks in the same way that you have experienced today. Let me talk about this next one. What do I mean by gather together? Uh, We want to remove as many barriers as possible for the physical gathering of the people. And so what we're going to do, a big way that we're going to do that is through an outdoor service once a month on Sunday evenings. Um, Over half of the people on our survey mentioned they would prefer an outdoor over an indoor. But if you dug into the verbatim comments, they almost all said, but not in the morning in the summer because it's too hot. So what we're going to do, we listen to that, we're going to do once a month in the evening. It's not going to take the place of our worship service. It will be in addition to and different from our Sunday worship service. We're calling it Church on the Lawn. The very first one is next Sunday, the 23rd. It's going to be at Brentwood Campus. Listen, guys, God gave us a beautiful lawn by a pond that is big enough for everybody from both campuses to spread out as much as they want. So bring lawn chairs, bring picnic blankets, bring your snacks and drinks, bring your dinner if you want to. It's not going to be a long sermon. It's going to be engaging for the whole family. It's going to be a lot of worship and singing. Carl's going to lead us in that and our other worship leaders and Brian and Mandy and all those that that we love here, they'll be there. And I just think this is going to be a spectacular way for us to gather for us just to be together. And you'll be able to see some people that that you haven't seen in a long time because they haven't yet come back, but they will come to this outside. So Church on the Lawn next Sunday. We'll do it the third Sunday of every month. Excited about that. I want to encourage you to gather in your groups. If you're not in a group, we're going to have an online event August 30th. Mark that on your calendars. You'll hear more about that. If you're not in a group, get in a group because we need to be together. We need to be gathering in homes, you know, and, and if, if you need to be outside for a while, whatever, it really is up to each group. We're not putting any restrictions on groups, but we want the groups to love each other well and communicate well and how they meet. There's even going to be uh, options to join an online group if, if that's uh, where people are right now as well. So we're trying to make options available. That's one of the themes. Talk about pray together. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to our daily prayer texts, which are themed prayer devotionals sent to your phone, and they're going to bring unity to the body as we read and pray together every day. There's an old saying. Some of y'all know this. The family that prays together stays together. I heard that, Mitch. Yeah, strong. That's just kind of true. It's a little cheesy, but it's kind of true. It is true, and we're a family. So we're going to pray together. We're going to pray the same things for each other every day. That's going to start in a few weeks. We'll, you'll hear more about it. It'll, it'll, it'll start in September and, and take us probably till Thanksgiving to walk through this together. Every time we've done this, it's brought unity to the body. So we're going to pray together. And then finally, I'm, a, I'm out of time. So I need to just briefly tell you why it's so important for us to serve uh, together. Uh, you don't know it, but our community pays attention uh, to this church to you, people that that bear the name of Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, the church has been a witness in the community through its oneness, through its unity, although, man, that's been a struggle in church history and through its service. Most of the, um, um, it's probably too strong to say, most of the social good in the world was rooted through the church, but I don't know that that's an, an overstatement, honestly. Um, hospitals, social services of all kinds, all of them were rooted in the church. We're rooted in people of God saying, we are going to serve the community, whether they're Christians or not, because we're called. We're called to this by Jesus himself. So here's how we're gonna respond to that call. October 17th will be a serve day across both of our campuses. We're gonna execute this to our groups. So each group is gonna have a chance to decide how they're going to serve on that day. Uh, We're excited about what that'll mean. You'll hear more about that. I want to encourage those of you that have been on our digital sharing board through our Facebook pages. Uh, it's simple as what you see on the screen. See a need, meet a need. People are posting needs and meeting needs all over. There's some incredible stories that are coming out of this. Uh, it's worth joining Facebook just for this, and I'm not a social media guy, so that says something for me to say that. So if you haven't taken a look at that needs board, do that. And then uh, I'm particularly excited about this one. There are certain people that can't get out of the house right now or they've just not been able to be with, the, with our, our, our faith family, so we're going to bring church to them. We're gonna gather teams of five or six or eight or 12 people or maybe a small group of people, ideally someone with a guitar, and we're gonna gather in a front yard You know, we're going to ring a doorbell and then just, it's kind of like Christmas caroling. I I joked last week that it's COVID caroling. Then I got called out by our communications department. It's like, you can't say that. But I was like, I'm going to say it anyway. It's COVID caroling. We're going to do that. Uh, We want to mobilize prayer teams to visit anyone with a need. We will come to you. We will pray for you. If you want to join this um, SEAL Team 6 of uh, prayer warriors, let us know. You can just email me and I'll get you in touch with those that are organizing this. And if you have a need or you know of someone that would love a visit, We would love to visit you. Now, here's my final thought. These four things, it's not pick from a menu. It's jump into a pathway. This is not a menu, it's a pathway. Here's what we mean by that. Worship together by coming to church every week. I know it's been a while for some of us. We've lost that habit. It matters. If you can't come physically, watch online, but be with us every week. Gather together once a month in this online church. It's going to be so fun. Just be with your family of faith once a month. And if you're in a group, gather with your group. Pray together through these daily prayer texts that will start in a couple of weeks. Just step with us in that. And then finally, take advantage of these service opportunities through your group or through the needs board, the sharing board, or or even in this uh, the the mobilized prayer teams. Do these things, and those four things together is what's going to make us better together, and we're going to be a light in this community. Take out the elements that you picked up on your way in of the Lord's Supper, and, and while you're preparing that, and go ahead and peel back that top, clear cellophane layer which is a little bit tricky if you're new or if you're 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 back this morning you haven't done this there are two layers there's an outer layer of just clear cellophane that'll get the the bread and then the under layer there of the purple that will get to the juice while you're doing that let me share this with you for 2,000 years the church has unified around the table The church is unified around the body and blood of Jesus. Um, The word communion is our English word communion derived from Latin communio, which that word translates koinonia in the Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek, and koinonia, as you all know, is the word for fellowship. It's a word for what we share, sharing something in common. Fellowship, it's our name. Fellowship, Bible, church. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes this, and I want you to think about this, it's profound. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing, koinonia, in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing, koinonia, in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. Church, the bread that you hold in your hands represents the body of Christ, which was broken to make us one with him and one with another. Let us receive it with gratitude. And now the cup, the the, the cup which you hold represents the cup of the new covenant or the, the new relationship, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, that through his shed blood, we are now one with him and the Father. And that means we are, through the fellowship of the Spirit, one with each other. Let's drink with gratitude.